0: This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony klein Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket, have a seat. We are talking ice fishing. This is Kyle Agri and Anthony klein with Shack Talk Podcast. And we have uh, a special guest with us today, Michael Forseth from Artist Sam. And uh, we're going to talk about what I think is going to be a really interesting topic and and not directly related to a hook and line, an auger, shack, but connected to that and in the bigger picture, a lot of our outdoor industry um, and, and broader than that, even industry beyond the outdoors. Uh, we're going to talk about how the the trade situation in our in our country, in our world, the, the tariffs and things like that are affecting businesses and ultimately affecting our customers. Uh, Michael, thanks thanks for taking a few minutes and talking with us. No,
1: thanks for having me.
2: appreciate it. It's, and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to make sure we keep the politics out of this one. But I think to Kyle's point, too, this is something that consumers are often unaware. They just see, you know, as things get continue to progress they see prices go up and they don't necessarily understand the ins and the outs and the whys and they just think that you know well now things just cost more to make you know cost more money to make things but I think in a lot of cases there's a lot more behind the scenes and I think that's really what we want to dive into here just to give the consumers a little bit more information maybe a look behind kind of the scenes and can never have too much information. I think the more people are educated in these types of things, they might understand maybe a little bit more the next time they see something go up by $5, 10 and not necessarily think, well, they're just trying to get more money out of me. I
0: want to know, Michael, your your perspective
2: on this, because,
0: because you're a leader of an organization, an organization that's certainly been affected by tariffs. Um, and I know it's been in in the forefront, not just in the news, but in your business meetings and, and, in how you strategize bringing your products to customers. So give us maybe just the the last what year or so in a, in a quick summary in terms of how some of these challenges have come, come to your desk.
1: Yeah, it's been a little bit more than a year. It's been almost two years, I think since maybe the first announcement they made that they were going to actually raise tariffs. Um, I guess it's just a really disruptive thing Um, when you say keep the political side out of it. I agree with that. I don't tend to busy my mind a lot with politics a whole lot. So I don't, I I try not to think in those terms. Um, Sometimes it's hard to on topics like this, but uh, I I think there's a lot of bigger forces at play here um, that are beyond, you know, our small business that happens to sell some ice fishing products and other outdoor products um, so there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on politically. Um, the two most powerful countries in the world really economically are kind of going at it right now. And we're kind of, uh, getting hit with some shrapnel, if you will. Um, anyways, uh, I, I think the biggest thing that has been really difficult to deal with is the uncertainty, you know, you're cause we keep getting hit randomly by unpredictable forces, um, as they negotiate these tariffs, uh, you know, they're going to go away. We've got a trade deal going. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, nope, we're not, we don't have a deal. In fact, I'm raising them and we're going to create another list and another group of products is going to get hit. Um, so that, the unpredictability is what is so difficult in business. If they just make the rules, even if they change the rules, change them quickly, change them, get it over with, and then don't change them for a while so that we can kind of reset, reset a new norm and keep doing doing business. It's going to change how we do things if they change the rules, but man, the uncertainty of it has been extremely difficult just because no one knows where this is going. We still don't. And so in that situation, you're faced with how to to
0: competitively bring your products to the consumer. I mean, because let's face it, the outdoor world, it's a competitive world. There's a lot of brands out there trying to get their piece of the pie. And, and they're all doing the same thing, right? They're all, they're all figuring out how they're going to make this work. And, and for you, you're looking at your you know, your business model and scenario, and you have products, you have components that are being imported um, as a way to, to make the best product at the best value for the customers. Um, and that unpredictability throws a, I got to imagine it throws a huge wrench in it, because if you're wrong, what are the consequences?
1: You end up with a lot of inventory, or you don't end up with any inventory. That's what happens if you're wrong. You miss sales, or you end up sitting on a whole pile of inventory. Um, and that's really what's happened. It's just the turmoil has created a uh, a ton of just it's changed markets in ways that we've never seen before. So, uh, you know, if uh, I I'd like to use the analogy of like gas at the pump, if the uh, if the price of oil changes you know, it's almost instantaneous within a day the you know, your local gas station is going to raise its prices or lower its prices, depending on what the price of oil is doing. Well, that doesn't mean that what they paid for that gasoline that's sitting in that tank underneath that pump has actually changed. You know, that's it, right. it's, it that's irrelevant. Um, they charge you what it costs to replace it. Well, in a situation like this, it's not quite that simple. Um, if, if we don't, let's say we're not running much we don't have much inventory, and, and those tariffs go up, our price does go up, and you know we have to pass that along somehow, some way, because it's not like it's not like we're a, a you know a, a wealthy company making tons of money. You know we're 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 trying to do it on the lean and mean, just like everyone else. Um, and I think most of our competitors are in exactly the same boat. Um, so what happens is, uh, you know, the, the prices go up, and then retailers. I, I think that one of the more Fascinating dynamics going on with retail and these tariffs is, the, is you know, the, the, the growth of the e-commerce business, right? The, the likes of Amazon and you got Amazon and Walmart slogging it out and selling stuff at cost and whatever, whatever they're doing. And some of these brick and mortar retailers are kind of caught in that crossfire, meanwhile, getting caught in the tariff crossfire on top of it. And it's really been, you know, damaging to them. I would say even, even more so than companies like us that aren't in the retail segment. Um, but the, the, So the retailers are you know, putting a lot of pressure on companies like us to not raise those prices, not pass those prices. Those price increases along, but to tell you the truth, we don't have much choice. So maybe a competitor who has a very similar product is sitting on a bunch of inventory and we're out of inventory, and that'll cause that retailer to switch over to that because they're willing to sell that, re- that retailer at pre-tariff prices. And then then maybe we have a product that they don't have. And, you know, it's just causing retailers to switch the assortments that they're carrying and just a ton of of different things are going on in our business that, and the rate of change is something that we have never experienced in the past. And of course, for, for outdoor enthusiasts, for those in the ice fishing world that
0: are, you know, passionate about the latest gear, the latest equipment, that's where they see it come to fruition. Right, and they may not know any of the pre-story you just described, but that's where they see it, and then, then of course, the questions come up, and 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 I'm sure knowing consumers and and all of us are in that role at some point in time, um, the questions and then the assumptions of why that's happening, and and that's a tough battle to, to to play, isn't it? When you when you're looking at what that messaging is.
1: Yeah, it's very difficult. I. I I feel for the consumer too, because I think the consumer is going out there and they're like, well, why why are prices going up maybe? Maybe they're not seeing prices go up. Maybe they're seeing, hey, uh, they're at a retailer and they're like, you, you guys used to carry, uh, you know, Eskimo ice augers and they're they're not carrying Eskimo ice augers anymore. And why? Well, that could be a lot of the reason behind the scenes. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a product thing. It's not, it's not anything that... Um, any traditional reason, like, we're, you know, not necessarily getting just flat out beaten by a competitor, which is, you know, competition is good and it makes us all better. But it's and sometimes in this case, it's actually bad. So.
2: And I think it's really important for the consumer to, to get some of this information because there are, you know, we're always changing how we're getting the consumer their products through the retailers. And I know myself included, you just generally assume that every retailer is going to have every product but that's you know obviously not feasible with the number of retailers that we have but i think it's ever more important now to just be mindful of you know where you can get those products and how we can deliver them to the consumer is there kind of maybe any advice for someone that's out there that maybe is looking for eskimo ion products to maybe get more information on you know where they should find these products uh, in in the market.
1: Ooh, that's a difficult one. I you know, I think it's just like anything else it's I, I think you're going to have to shop maybe a little bit more. You're going right. to have to price check things. Um uh, I don't know if, in all cases of retailers are going to set you straight you know, cause, or tell it to you straight. Uh, maybe they will. I, I hope that they will, but maybe they're, you know, maybe they're trying to blow through inventory of their own. So I think you just got to be a really smart consumer more so than you ever had to in the past. And I tell you the truth, I think consumers in general, they all got smartphones in their pocket. They're, they've are they gotten pretty savvy. Um, so you you pretty much have to play it straight if you ever want them to come back into your store and, and shop again. So I it's consumer beware just like it always is. But I think the American consumer has been aware for a long time and they're pretty damn good at, um, keeping everyone honest in the situation. So, uh, you might have to search a little harder at times for certain products. Um, but you know, they're, they're always out there somewhere and generally speaking in the internet age, you can find them.
0: You can and at your fingertips in many, in most cases, I would say, okay, so, so looking ahead, right and and I know no, none of us have a, a crystal ball that we can see the future but just based on your experience your expertise
1: where where do you see this going I don't know uh just more recently in the last week you know there's been a lot of talk about them having a trade deal and getting it done and um in some ways that's actually could be more damaging than actually putting the tariffs in place cuz all of a sudden you you know all the inventory that you might have in your in your chi- in your queue you know in the process um, also just goes down in price and it devalues your, all of your inventory and you end up taking a huge financial hit as a result of that. It's not like I can return it. Um, you know, uh, so we're going to have to, we'll just have to take that hit and move on, I guess. But, um, so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I ask if anybody in, in any kind of position of power ever listens to anything like this, I would hope that they do it slowly. That they, that they, you know, if they're going to make a deal with China and and get these tariffs uh, uh, gone, that they back them off with plenty of notice um, in a slow, methodical, and predictable way. And if they do that, then it w- will be minimally disruptive. But if they say, hey, there's a there's a trade deal and all tariffs are gone next week, all in one foul swoop, um, it's going to be pretty damaging to companies like us. Um, we're, it's going to be a massive financial hit, and that doesn't come without consequences you know cause consequences to product development maybe you see you know people are used to seeing a lot of new products from a company like Artisan and a lot of fun new things coming out that might you know slow down or get put on pause for a while because we gotta we gotta kind of regroup after getting hit with a financial hit like that but I I don't know if you would have asked me a week ago I would have said I I think the tariffs are going to stay in place a while I just don't I don't see it changing that would have been my and I, I guess I've—that's the tactic I've taken all along. Here is that I'm just gonna—I don't know what's gonna happen. It's a super volatile situation. You can see people in a stock market totally guessing, and it's ridiculous, right? I—I I, I don't want to play that game. I just want to make my—you know—make the decisions on the information I know. Make the best decisions we can. Which is that the rules that they have in place are going to remain in place. Run our business, and if they change the rules, we're going to have to figure out a way to do it differently. But, um. I would have thought that they were going to stick around a while, and I st- still think there's a pretty good chance they will. But um, some of the talks that have just come to light in the last few days, it seems like maybe maybe they are going to actually make a deal. But, again... It, Who knows, right? Yeah, it's, they might also just raise them again, too, right? They, they, that's, oh, you know, 25% is not enough. Now it's going to be 40% because, you know, the, the negotiations didn't go the way that the Trump administration wants them to go. I mean, it's a strong-arm tactic, and they're not playing games. They're trying to get... <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to get out of China, but they're trying to get something. And um, I guess I, I'm not going to speculate on what that is, but they're looking for some kind of concession. And if uh, it could easily go the other way, I believe. So.
0: That is incredibly in- interesting insight because honestly, if I would have heard on the news that there will be no tariffs tomorrow, I would have thought that's a great, great move. And that's a great result for everybody. Um but really there's more to the story and, and just thinking about the cost of those those goods that you have in inventory and, and moving through that supply chain,
1: that that changes a perspective on all of it. Yeah, it definitely would have a devaluing effect. Uh if, if price of gas is dropping, you want your that tank and that gas station to be real, you know, you want to run it lean and mean as you can. Um and I think there's some companies that are being forced to do that right now. Now we're <laughs> We're not trying to speculate too much. I mean, we're trying to run as business as usual as possible, but it's really difficult where I'm at
0: right now. Well, and of course, and that's that's really, I mean, you have a reputation of bringing great products to customers and, and, and those customers expect that and you're continuing to do that. But wow, this sheds some light on just what's going on through that process that I think most of us didn't know of and, and mm-hmm. weren't aware of. And all we hear are, the headlines or the, the the main stories that come out in the news. And you don't at least I don't always make the the connection and connecting those dots to the products I'm going on out to the store, where whatever it might be, the hardware store, the the toy store, the the um sporting goods store. And and
1: really how that effect comes right down to home. Yeah, one thing I can say too, you yes, ask how does this affect consumers and it, you you hear both sides, and you know the truth. A lot of times, is somewhere in the middle. It's absolutely somewhere in the middle. Um, and what do I mean by that? It's that you know you hear the Trump administration saying China's paying for this. Um, in some ways, they are. You know, if, if you're if they're in a competitive space where there's other, um, where there's domestic supply or there's supply from other some other country, China's lowering their prices, and they are paying f- they are paying this tariff indirectly. By lowering their prices to compete with these other countries and the, and the supply that they can get from there, um, but in other cases, China has monopoly, and they're not lowering their prices. So it's all over the all over the place. Um, sometimes prices are getting um, prices increases aren't getting passed along all the way back to the you know to maybe a factory in China that's making it, um, and then other times it's absolutely getting passed along to the U.S. consumer. So the truth somewhere in the middle. Um, it definitely varies by industry, um, but you can uh, – Ch- Trump is right. S- China is paying for this. And because if they they leave this sit long enough, things are leaving. You know, things are things are going to uh, – d- how much is going to come back to the U.S.? Some. Minimal amount. I, the, the U.S., there's not a lot of unemployment. There's not a lot of jobs here. There's not a lot of people looking for factory work. just, just the reality of it. Um and so those, you know, the, the other low-cost countries of the world, whether that's in Southeast Asia or Mexico or Brazil or wherever it is, um, those are going to be the big winners in this situation if they leave those tariffs sit in place long enough. And it doesn't take all that long because there's always somebody that's willing to, you know, do the, do the heavy lifting of getting that supply and that um, out of some other country. And, and, you know, it's a lot easier in this day and age than it ever used to be to, to find – somebody else and to and switch over to them. So
0: global economy, those players are there
1: and they're just waiting for the opportunity to, to have that door open. Oh yeah. There's always somebody waiting. Oh yeah. And then, and then once, once it, let's say there is where China's making the vast majority of something. As soon as, as soon as there's a significant vendor outside of China, China competes. They're so, right. Jumping, trying to jump right back in. Yep, yeah. They, they'll find a way to compete. Um, and it's amazing, you know, competition really does drive the world. And I think so, so in some ways, this isn't the worst thing in the world because I think it is It is creating a, a much more competitive space on a global scale. So.
0: We, meaning businesses, consumers, retailers, just need to be able to
1: ride that storm out <laughs> yeah. and, and, and see it till they get to the other shore. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it ta- and it takes a little time, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It definitely doesn't, ha- it takes a little time. And I won't even get into exclusions, but that's the other thing that they're doing with some of these terraces. They're making exclusions, and that is so messy. It's just messy. It's, uh they exclude certain products, and um, it's how they code those products. And so there's something called tariff engineering, you know, where people try to get change your product a little bit so it falls within a different code, and it's like it's pretty pretty uh it doesn't really help anything it's not really helping anybody it's not doing anything better it's not making a better ice auger or making a better uh you know other product but uh it's just uh it's just making people jump through hoops
0: right and and more energy devoted to playing the game and getting ahead at that game is less energy devoted to making a better and improved product so uh yeah there's definitely a trade-off always is in any of those scenarios so Yep. I think this is an interesting topic. I think it's a topic that I I wanted to learn more about, and I I, I believe our listeners do too. Uh, it affects affects all of us in in some small way or big way, depending on what you do as a as a consumer in your role. And we certainly appreciate you taking some time to visit with us.
2: No, it was good. It was fun.
1: I enjoyed talking with you guys.
2: Yeah, I definitely learned a thing or two, and I hope you know the listeners did too. So. Um, if you're listening, make sure to stick around. We'll be back with another segment of uh, Shack Talk podcast, and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Shack Talk. Really excited to get into this next segment. We're going to be talking about a destination, and it's a destination that I've been a couple of times. Kyle, you've been up there before, but we wanted to make sure that we brought in an expert, somebody that's really familiar with the area, very passionate about the area, and can share some insight with us on why someone should plan a trip up there. Kyle?
0: Well, I tell you what, this is uh, Lake of the Woods, but... Many of us in, in the ice fishing community are familiar with the south shore and south side of Lake of the Woods. We're going to be talking about the north end of the lake, which you want to talk about 180 degree difference in, in a black and white kind of um, environment, the geography, the topography, all of that. So we have Mandy Urick with us here, and we are talking about Kenora, Ontario. Yes. Man, you spent a lot of time up there in the winter, and and particularly as we were talking before, um, you know, b- before we started here, you, you mentioned there's some keys, and it isn't necessarily a date on the calendar, but it's it's a progression of the season late into the ice into the ice time.
3: Absolutely. Most people in March are are heading to Jamaica or Florida or somewhere warm. And that's that's my vacation for the last 15 years because it's absolutely amazing. And it is March. So it's hard to say on the calendar date because there's some key factors that are involved with it. You have to wait until the snow melts. So all that snow is going to melt through the ice, and the ice is actually going to rise, which is awesome for two big key factors. Mobility, right? You can get around anywhere you want on that ice pretty much by any means possible. The ice is still good enough to drive a vehicle. You can take your wheeler. You can still even take... A snowmobile, so that makes it great. You can travel wherever you want, so that's key. And two, when all that snow melts down and drains through the ice, that's all oxygen, and that's you know oxygenating the water. So it, it makes it a really cool time of year. The fish turn on. It's kind of like our fall bite, how just everything the feed bag turns on. That's what happens at that time of the year. The feed bag comes on for multiple species.
0: That's awesome. And for listeners of Shack Talk, just so we know, what Mandy knows what she's talking about. Um, her career is revolved and, and centered around wildlife, uh, natural environment. Mandy, you're a, a wildlife biologist for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources.
2: Is that accurate?
3: Yes, that is accurate. For 19 and a half years.
2: <laughs> she knows her stuff. She knows what she's talking about. And I mean, even any time I've talked to Mandy about getting up to the Kenora area, Sioux area, part of Lake of the Woods, it just makes me want to get up there. And I've been up there before, but... Every time you talk about it, it's one of those things that I've been up there late season and I've I've gotten a taste of it, but Mandy has just so much information that we're going to kind of try and pick her brain and get some more insight for anyone that's looking to make that trip of a lifetime, book a destination trip up to Kenora. Mandy, you, you
0: touched on it, right? So it's ease of transportation, as we're talking about this late ice time frame, it's ease of getting around but also you, you said that the fresh water from the melting snow, that's triggering these fish in, into a higher level of feeding. Let's just tell us a little bit more about that, because in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, that's interesting, and where does that apply on other places that I'm fishing? I mean, is that something that happens on everybody body of water, or is it, is it unique just to that northern Lake of the Woods area?
3: I think it really does apply to all bodies of water. You know, specifically, we think about through the winter, right? We get a ton of snow on the ice that filters out. We're not getting the sunlight down below. So that vegetation eventually dies, right? So it's dying first in that shallower water where it's heavily vegetated. That's eating up oxygen. Those fish move out of the shallow areas back into the deep areas because they've got oxygen there. So that's where they're sitting. When this happens, those fish are coming out of the deep water and filtering back into the shallow water because it's being reoxygenated there. So it, where you're normally maybe fishing, you're used to fishing super deep at that time of year. All of a sudden, those fish are in, on this transition and they start going to these bottlenecks and these neck downs and heading back towards those shallow waters.
2: And a lot of those fish are getting ready to prepare for the spawn, too. I mean, that's Absolutely. another reason why they're transitioning yep. to those shallower areas, whether that's the big pike in the spring or the walleyes where the seasons are still open. They're getting ready to spawn. they got to put on that feed bag. They're getting ready to prepare for that. And there's some really incredible opportunities. And let's maybe just touch on a little bit some of the different species. I mean, there's so many options up on Lake of the Woods I mean, between lake trout, pike, crappies, walleyes, there's bass potential up there. What what do you kind of look for and what's kind of your target? I mean, some of these, there's specific areas, but if you were to pick one, what's your favorite up there?
3: It's got to be lake trout at that time of year. You, you, it starts in January for the season there, and the weather's obviously very cold, It's you know, and you're lucky if you can get a couple a day, but they're big fish. You know, drying 20-plus-pound fish is a really awesome day. When you go in March and you're catching, you know, 15 to 25 of those big fish a day, and you're not fishing, you know, that 100-foot break, you're fishing those neck downs exactly for what Anthony said because they're coming into those neck downs, coming into that shallow water to spawn. So you, you're looking at these pinch. Points specifically to target these big lake trout, which are so much fun to catch. I mean, anybody who's ever seen it or done it just once, you're gonna be addicted. You see that giant red blob, and you can't reel fast enough. And it's you know, dang it takes the rod right out of your hand. You know, and you don't even need to set the hook; it, it sets it for you. So it's it's great. And what I have found up there is in those same neck downs, we're catching giant forty plus inch pike. You know, we're we're you know we're catching. Uh, smallmouth bass where you're you're in a smaller area where normally you're you know you're targeting the deeper maybe 25 to 30 foot humps if you want to go march fishing for smallmouth bass or you know the deeper humps for a walleye and that time of year it's you can fish just about every species you want out of a really small area.
2: And those fish are moving in they're all moving in for the same reason. The bait fish are moving in to get that oxygen to Bigger fish are following and the trophy fish are following behind them. So I think, like you said, it's just a progression. And being, being up in that area, you never know what you're going to set the hook into. Like you said, trophy <laughs> lakers, big pike, walleyes, smallmouth.
3: Big, big crappie too. I mean, that's the fun part too. I I can honestly say that every one of my trophy fish I have ever taken has come out of that time zone in March, you know, that 10 days that I'm up there over the last 15 years. So, you know, 17 plus inch crappie, 44 plus inch uh, northern pike. I had a 40 plus inch lake trout. I had a 24 inch uh, smallmouth bass and I had a 30 and a half inch walleye. I mean, that's why I'm addicted. I will go religiously every single March to go up there and ice fish. And the weather's great. I mean, it. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's so beautiful too, right? It's a whole different world when you, you get to that stretch. Southern Ontario looks like farming country. It looks like Western Minnesota, basically. And then all of a sudden you just, you hit these beautiful rock cliffs and rock faces and it's, it's, it's gorgeous with all the islands too on the lake. It's it's kind of magical.
0: <laughs> sunset country, right? It is. That's, suns- they that's why it. they call it sunset, sunset country. country, and it's it's the it's the landscape that they make postcards out of. Absolutely. I mean, yep. that's the best way I can think of to describe it. You're talking about wow, what a resume! You know, when you when you're listing off those different fish species and the sizes that you've caught in the same the same area of Lake of the Woods. Are you up, and I, and I think I know the answer, you're up there primarily targeting those trophy fish, but is this also an opportunity to make a fish fry at night, do your shore lunches? I mean, are you catching eaters? Oh, as w- yes. I'm assuming so, but.
3: Yep, yep, yep. It, it, it's not, you know, and we think trophy too, like if you're lucky, if you get a, you know, big fish, it's it would be great for us, right? Because that's what we're targeting, but no, you're catching numbers too. So you are getting an array of sizes, but the cool part is, is, you never know which species it's going to be, but pretty much like every time you're going to get a big fish of one of those species while you're doing it. So, yeah, and you then get, you get some fish fry to boot, too. Well,
0: that's always a bonus, right? Yeah, I mean, right? Both of them are a bonus. So You go up to a beautiful location, you have some time outdoors, maybe you're going to get a trophy. You know, your odds are, nothing's a guarantee, but it's Correct. all about putting the odds in your favor to, to have that success. And And that's a location, a time, everything's lining up to make sure that you are creating uh, the the scenario where those odds do go up. Yes. Okay. You live in central Minnesota. Yes. Kenora, most folks, I think at least around the area that, that I live, that you live, I think all of us, when we say like the woods, we're talking about, again, that South shore. Cause a lot of people make that trip, right? So what's the difference when you leave home, um, from a trip where you would, would be heading up to that Rainy River area versus Kenora? Is it is it a great distance further?
3: No, that's a great part. So it's about four hours, for, I believe, from my house to uh, maybe four and a half up to Rainy River. You're only looking at another two and a half hours to get this. And you actually don't even need to go that far. If you really want to target numbers of big lake trout uh, in March, you can go to Sue I think personally, that's normally what I do. I'll stop in Sue first, get my fill, you know, a day or two, uh, go to Crawford's Camp. They've got some really good guides and buddies that I've known for almost 20 years up there that I fish with, you know, get the lake trout out of the way first and then continue my trip up to Kenora. And then we, you, which you also will catch big lake trout up there too. But then I go up there, you know, for the big crappies, um, walleye and big northern pike. So, Yeah, I mean, you don't have to go that far. You could only go an hour and a half to Sooner's and still have all those opportunities, or you can continue your trip up to Kenora uh, and have those opportunities too.
2: And I think that's one of the really nice things too, is there's opportunities for the guys that like to do it ourselves. There's great accommodations, hotels, resorts. There's also great guides up there. If you are looking for someone to take you out for these opportunities, they're there, they specialize it, they know the resource, they you know, fish with Mandy probably and get some of her get some of her luck, it sounds like. But there's a lot of opportunities for anyone that wants to go up to Sunero's Kenora to get in on some of this action. And it's not that far and it's not that much more expensive than any other destination that you're gonna take here in here in the states
3: well i think the price is 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 great i mean between the accommodations if you're just going to go up they'll tell you where to go you know they'll put put you on grab a map and tell you all right here's some spots to go if you want to go go or guide with them and then like we get the exchange rate right so we're already automatically getting this discount with the exchange rate you know across the board but it's definitely i would consider a very cheap Vacation for me to have an experience like that. So,
0: and Kenora's is a great community.
3: It's beautiful. It's
0: beautiful. People are very kind. They're welcoming. Uh, the one memory I have, and I was only there in the summertime, I have not been there on the ice, but the ability to drive your boat and dock it at the grocery store. <laughs> Where else in the world can you do that?
3: I don't think you can. And uh, honestly, I was probably been there. Thirty times and never knew this right. Well, I ended up um, taking a, a girls group out, and they lived next door to the grocery store. And she was giving me directions to where to pick them up. I thought I was picking them up at the a boat dock, and then I go to and I'm like, oh my gosh, you literally can drive your boat literally, you know, right to the to the grocery store right here. So I'm like, this is pretty awesome. It's it's a very fishing friendly outdoor community you they get it you know they like the the tourism they respect the tourism they appreciate the tourism you know when it comes in so
0: one one question here mandy before we wrap up and that is i i know that there is current flowing out of lake of the woods it flows north uh uh, real close to kenora if i believe if, if i'm accurate is that an is, is that a concern when we're hitting the ice? Maybe not that time of the year, but but at any time during during the ice season. Is that current affecting uh, ice safety?
3: It, it actually is. It's right in town. You can see where the river, you know, travels through town and in, in, into that bay. And realistically, it never gets very good right there. They have it very well marked around there for the buoys to stay back on. I wouldn't even, you don't even need to go over there. Look at all the water that you have to fish. But I would say that's about the only area that you would really have to worry, except when you're portaging. So when you have those islands that are very close together, um, that's going to be a concern when the the neck downs, because there again, you're going to have current that's constantly going. And that is, it doesn't matter if it's January or or if it's March, um, ice is going to be of a concern in in those areas.
2: Yeah, so make sure to get your resources, maps, talk to the locals. If you're going up on your own or if you're going with a guide, um, they'll know the area, but they will point you in the right direction. you just want to make sure that it is a different, different body of water, and if you're not familiar with it, you need to know some of those things because as you said, it can be January and some of those areas only have a couple inches of ice and it's definitely not a safe safe thing to do on your own if you're not familiar with it.
3: You're going to want a GPS with you because there's huge areas up there where there is no cell phone reception. It doesn't matter if you have AT&T or Verizon or who you have. If you get lost and you need to call help because you can't find your way back because you didn't click your GPS on, you might be in a little bit of trouble.
2: You got to always be safe. Well, Mandy, thank you very much for joining us for this segment. It's always fun to talk to you. I know I'm looking forward to my trip up there, and maybe one of these years we'll just have to tag along with Mandy and follow her, uh, follow her tail lights up there. But stick around for the next segment. Uh, we're going to be jumping into our third and final segment here, talking with someone about why they like to ice fish, and we'll be right back with that. And thanks for joining us in our third and final segment of Shack Talk podcast. And we're going to be jumping right into why do we like ice fishing and getting the perspective from another ice angler. And as Kyle and I have talked about in our previous segments, there's such a wide variety of why people like to ice fish.
0: Everybody brings their own history, their own perspective, their own experiences to ice fishing. And and for all of us, there's a lot of commonality in what drives us and, and that passion, but yet it's very individual as well.
2: Exactly. And so we're very pleased to welcome a guest to our podcast that has maybe a little bit newer perspective on fishing and maybe the things that are changing in the in the ice fishing world and we want to welcome to the podcast Lucas King. He is a member of the NDSU Bison Fishing Team and Someone that we've chatted to about, about fishing multiple times. Welcome to the podcast, Lucas.
4: Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: What is, we'll dive right into it. What is the reason you like ice fishing? Why do you, why do you go out on the ice in this frozen tundra we live in, in pursuit of catching a fish?
4: Yeah, I feel like I have kind of a different perspective for ice fishing um, than most people. Um, summertime, I travel a lot with my dad. We do a lot of tournament fishing. It's kind of serious. Um, I use, I really use ice fishing for fun. Um, I'm not out there uh, just to get my hours on the water. I like to go um, get a group of friends and go on trips. I use it to get out and do things that I wouldn't do in the summertime in a boat. So, um, for instance, we did... A lot of fun things last year we I met up with a f- bunch of my friends from a different college and we went out to the Black Hills on a trout fishing trip up in the mountains. I would never do that in the summertime, so I use ice fishing to do things like that and it's it's usually a lot of fun and And you just uh, alluded to something there,
0: Lucas, and that was the fact that uh, you fish tournaments with your father. Um, your father's been and made a career in the fishing industry, so you've kind of grown up with that in your blood. Share with our, the listeners of the podcast just a little bit who's your father? What's, what's he done? What's he doing now?
4: Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I've had a great role model to look up to um, over the years. He's um, He's got a very cool story. It's pretty unique to other people. Um, he didn't grow up fishing. He He's self-made. Um, he started going on fishing trips with his neighbor, actually, when he was, uh, I believe, 16. He would work for a long time just to go on trips, and that that sprung into, hey, let's try our luck in a I believe it was the Watt back in the day, um, into a couple tournaments on Mille Lacs, and then it turned into the Wave Whackers, and then he ended up qualifying for, back in the day, the Professional Walleye Tour, the PWT, um, and he's been fishing on the professional scale now for, I think, 13 or 14 years, so um, he's had some success. Uh, I look up to him in a lot of ways just because he does things a lot different than other people in the industry. He's, very, he's a very humble person. Um, he'll talk to anyone, which if, if you ever hear different, um, sometimes it's not always like that, so, um, I'm pretty fortunate to have learned things from him, and being able to travel, uh, I know, I started traveling with him when I was 11, um, I would have to skip a week of school to, oh, we're going to Lake Erie, and I would always get weird looks, every time I'd walk into the office, the secretary, would, oh, where are you going fishing today, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was things like that, um, it's, I've been very fortunate, and, um, I'm thankful for the memories that I've had with my dad fishing and ice and, fishing. And-, and your dad is Brett, yeah, Brett King. Oh yeah, Brett. And yep. and um and yeah, he he definitely is
0: is a leader in in the outdoor and the fishing industry, and that's pretty cool. And and unlike your dad, you had him he he uh, him as a mentor, and and you learned a lot, and you you sh- you shared that. But now you're you're kind of venturing out and you're you're doing some things on your own. You were a big player in. The North Dakota State University fishing team, and and that's a brand new organization. So, just tell us a little bit about how that started, and and how you're sharing your passion for for fishing and ice fishing through that group.
4: Yeah, so um, growing up with my dad, walleye fishing. I actually, as I got older, I got into bass fishing, and um as many people know high school fishing is kind of what started all of the trends um it's huge I would argue that high school fishing and trap shooting are probably the two largest growing sports out there right now all across the country and um I when I was uh touring colleges when I was in high school it wasn't one of the factors was the college had to have a fishing team I wanted to do it um it's a great opportunity to get out and travel and have cool experiences. Um, so I ended up liking NDSU for the school, which is a little bit more important than fishing, so I had to put that to the side. Sometimes um, it's a little
2: bit more important than yeah, fishing.
4: Yeah, yeah, but... there's definitely limits. Um, yeah, so I, I decided to start one on my own. Uh, it's it, Our college offers a very unique opportunity that not many others do in the sense that we have a blend of walleye fishermen, pan fishermen, bass fishermen, muskie fishermen, um, just because you know your Detroit Lakes area, it it breeds so many different, so many different things. And uh, what, we, what we've done is we have basically made it so we all go ice fishing, and um, not competitive wise. We just we use them basically. So you get a college from down south; they're fishing all year round in a boat. Well, us, well, we're stuck with snow. I'm looking out the window to a mound of snow right now and ice. So um, we basically, three weeks ago, we had our first first annual, first inaugural ice trip. We went up to uh, Red Lake, um, rented a rented a shack on, on shore, and there was uh, 12 of us. And we went out, and it was a blast. I sat back. It was very cool because I've put many, many, many hours into getting this Club started and getting members and trying to rewrite the book of trying to make a team different than the already existing 500 other teams so um i actually took a moment in red lake and i'm watching in one one area kids are doing interviews making a vlog watching another kids are have ice picks and they're having races through the snow just having a having a blast it's really cool to sit back and see it all come together um It's uh, very rewarding to offer things like that um, to, you know, someone from North Dakota. They got to go to Red Lake for the first time. That's a
2: really great story. And, I mean, for someone that didn't get to experience that in college or high school, for that matter, I look back at, you know, the trips that I took and, you know, how we – basically went and did the same thing we went out there we were having fun whether we were you know involved in other activities ice fishing was one of those common things that we shared and we were able to spend that time on the ice and it's really fun to hear you've been able to do that as well and I think a lot of listeners would relate to that um, camaraderie out on the ice with their friends and and having that time and memories made out on the ice
4: yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. It's actually, um, we have, you know, weekly meetings or every other week we have a meeting and we have pizza and we have speakers come in and things like that. But what is really, what I've really enjoyed about it is we've, there's 45 of us on the team. We grow two to three members a week. Um, what it's really grown into is just a big group of friends. I mean, we, we have, you know, we'll have nights where if there's a good football game on, we'll all get together. we'll, make some walking tacos or something. And it ends up turning into us sitting around talking about fishing the whole time. So it's really cool in that sense because it, it brings everyone together through one shared passion and that's fishing and ice fishing. So it's been fun. That is so awesome to hear Lucas, because as an adult
0: and I I know Anthony would, would be in agreement with me on this, but that grassroots connection, right. And being able to share your passion, share your knowledge, and and not just by teaching other people, but by being taught yourself too, and learning from your your peers. That's something that really we strive and we seek our entire lives, and and to see you doing that now and in your time as a young adult, that's that's just going to continue to grow. And, and and kudos to all of you to that. And I what, the question I was going to ask is how the other students on the team are receiving this like are, are they as enthusiastic as you you kind of answered that already when you talked about your first outing to Red Lake but uh what what what's your feel do you feel like this is going to continue to grow do you have other trips planned do you have other events planned what's what's going down the line
4: yeah i think it's i think in um i i honestly realistically think in 2 to 3 years it will be one of the biggest clubs on campus just for the fact that when these anglers join our club they get They get a a combination of discount codes and um, opportunities to go on these trips at discounted rates. um, Things like that that, honestly, it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone, which is always a hard thing, but it's also really good when it's all said and done. So um, I think that my overall opinion on it so far is it has been awesome. It's definitely one of the coolest things I've been a part of. Um, Just being able to give back is... The coolest thing, just set up, set up these trips and set up, you know, opportunities, speakers, things like that. Um, it was really cool. Just people that would have walked by me in this Fargo Ice Show, oh, I know them because the, now they're in the team. So it's cool that way. So and and uh, I look forward to uh, summer. Getting we only had I got it going last spring. Um, so we had a couple. We went out on the Red River a couple times um, this fall. And uh, we're we're getting some things planned. We were going up to Mille Lacs here in the middle of January on another ice trip. Um, and what do you know? We have double enrollment from the first trip into the second trip. So now we have around 20, 25 people coming to that one. So that should be a blast. Um, and then we're, we plan on going to Lake Winnipeg. And then our tournament season kicks off in the spring. Um, we're fishing the FLW uh, College Bass Series. So that should be a lot of fun as well.
2: That's awesome. I can't even begin to kind of wrap my head around the opportunities that you guys have in front of you. And I really am am respectful in the fact that you've been able to share this with other people and give them the same opportunities as well. Before we kind of wrap up this segment, um, one of the things that I like to ask our guests is, do you have a very favorite ice fishing memory. I know myself and Kyle, we've shared some of ours. Is there something that sticks out in your mind as an ice fisherman that is one of those things that you like to share with people?
4: (laughs) Yeah, this one is actually, it's a good memory, but it's a a different one. Um, Last year, we went up to Lake Winnipeg, and I never got the Lake Winnipeg craze until I moved to the Fargo area, and all of a sudden, everybody goes up to Lake Winnipeg. It's a very household name. So, we planned to go up to Lake Winnipeg, and uh, I prepared myself. I was told you can't prepare enough for, for Lake Winnipeg because it'll chew you up and spit you out. And what I thought I prepared for, it ended up chewing me out and spitting me up. Uh, it, it was just, we, we didn't really get into the fish. Um, we uh, actually ended up breaking a lot of equipment. At the time, it seemed like, why are we up here? Like, what are we doing? This is miserable. And then when it was all said and done, you sit back on it and look, and it is all memories that you'll remember forever. I'll tell my kids that story someday. Yeah, I may have broke a few pieces of equipment, but I will be going back this year, and it's all part of the process of learning. And you're in a different country, interacting with different habitats of lakes, different people. It was, it was a blast looking back on it. It's just you really got to prepare, and that's all part of it. makes you a better angler going up there. So, Speaking as someone who's been in that scenario multiple times, breakdowns,
0: parts that fail, parts that are lost. Um, I can empathize with you. Been there and done that. Yeah. And you're exactly right, though. Those are That's part of the adventure. And, and when it's all said and done, that goes into one of those memories of, hey, maybe we didn't catch the one we were after, but wow, we learned a lot and we had a great time doing it. And we, we pulled together or we figured it out or however it ends up. Um, you know, those, those memories do stick with you for a long time. Hey, I, I want to know what are your plans for the future? You're going to school at NDSU. You mentioned you're a student there, right? And that's, that's given you this Avenue to do the fishing club, but what are your personal goals? What are your personal uh, um, aspirations? And how does, how does fishing or ice fishing fit into to where you see your life going?
4: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to school for marketing and I actually went to school for marketing uh, solely so I could uh, use that in the fishing industry. Um, I wanted to always go to school to be a lawyer, and then I, when, as I got older, um, my dad works in the industry, and I've been around it my whole life, and that's what I want. Um, I, I work for a TV show, Fishing the Midwest, right now, and a couple different anglers. I run their social media pages for them so I'm actually pretty fortunate to be able to earn some of my income during school doing that Um, but I would love to graduate college and work in the industry um, in fish tournaments in on the side of having a having a career so uh, definitely going to walleye avenue Um, but yeah that's kind of what I'm looking forward to.
2: Well, that's a great story, and I think as a listener, everybody can appreciate the the opportunities that our student anglers and college anglers have, and I really am excited to see the future of the sport continuing to grow um, with the anglers, and I'd really like to thank uh, Lucas. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. and. For those of you listening, um, if they want to get a hold of you on uh, social media, if they have any questions about high school or college angling, how can they get, how can they get contact with you?
4: Absolutely. We have a Facebook and an Instagram page. Um, it's North Dakota State University Fishing Team on Facebook, and it's NDSU Fishing Team on Instagram. Um, if they're a student at NDSU and would like to join, um, they can reach out to me through email. Um, we'll get them set up and have them come out to a meeting and see what, see what we're all about. Um, we'll be producing some videos in the future as we go on these trips, kind of documenting, documenting the story and the fun that we have together. So,
2: Awesome. Thanks, Lucas. And again, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you want to get a hold of Kyle or myself, feel free to reach out to us on our social medias as well um, and reach out to uh, the Shack Talk podcast. Uh, we're more than happy to answer your questions. And until next time, um, get out, get on the ice, and enjoy some fishing.